0: Welcome to Season 3 of In Search of Peace and Healing. I'm your host, Celia Boone. Well, hello, and thank you for joining me today. You're listening to Celia Waller Boone. And um, today... As I was contemplating, you know, and praying about what would be helpful to my listeners, um, this is what came to me. Um, And so I'm calling this episode, Death Interrupted. You see, um, I always felt, even as a little child, that I was a mistake. I didn't ask to be born. I didn't want to be here. Um, Stop the world. I want to get off. And really, truly, I just felt flat out defective. Like, um, you know, I had come off the assembly line um, just totally full of defects and problems. I was a lemon. In terms of, you know, if you buy a car like I felt, you'd say, this is a lemon. But my parents should have taken me back for repairs before the warranty ran out, and they didn't. So here I was, just having to endure life as a defective. And part of my defectiveness, I didn't even realize at the time, was a very strong sense of self loathing Um, I had clinical depression, um, generalized anxiety disorder, and, um, you know, found out about other mental health issues that I also had um, later on. But um, I knew I was depressed, and I knew on the inside I was really, really really ticked I was it wasn't just like angry I had resentments and I stirred the pot every day and then slammed the lid down on them and you know the people that I was resenting may have not known or cared um I know my mother knew that I resented her but you know Um, She had her own problems and she wasn't worried about how I felt. She was worried about me bringing shame to the Waller name or I don't know what. But anyway. um, But one thing that I did not understand at the time was that, yes, depression comes from repressed anger, resentments, whatever. Okay. And the reason I was repressing my anger was because I didn't feel it was safe anywhere to let it out. I was afraid to let it out. I was afraid if I started letting it out that it would overwhelm me and I might end up with an Uzi mowing down the people in the city. Of, not really, but, you know, I just, I didn't know what would happen. If I let it out, I was afraid I would explode, just, you know, and do something really heinous to myself and or others. I mean, I didn't know, but it was just, I was really, really sick. But I was, at age 26, I was living with my parents. I had lived in Atlanta and Southern California for several years And I went back to live with my parents so that I could finish college. Um, So I moved from Atlanta into their house. Um, My mother had found a new target for her abuse. It wasn't me as much as it was my father, who is disabled and very depressed himself. And she just never stopped ragging on him, screaming at him, yelling, you know, just everything he did was wrong. And so he just kind of put his head down, never looked off the floor and sat in his reclining chair with his feet up because... He had diabetic issues with his circulation. So here I was back in school, and I had only been living with them since, I guess, November of 1986. This is a long time ago. I'm telling my age. And um, I just, I wanted, I wanted off the world. I just stopped the world. I want off. I I didn't want to be born. I didn't ask to be here. I'm not having a nice time. I need the pain to stop. And, um, you know, I had an eating disorder, food addiction, whatever you call it. And, um, you know, that for a few years did anesthetize my feelings somewhat. If I ate what passed the point of pain, then I crawl into my bed, hold a pillow to my stomach, lie on my side. And if I could go to sleep, then when I woke up, I would be really numb. And that's how I wanted to feel all the time, numb. Just, you know, I just couldn't stand the pain and I didn't think there would be any way of getting rid of it. So. um, I thought about suicide a lot. I thought about I wanted to be dead. I wanted my feelings to be dead. If I could just continue living, but be as zombie, like emotionally, just not care. And I thought that's how other people got along as they just didn't give a rip about anything or anybody. Um, I mean, they said they cared, but I didn't understand that my love receiver was broken, busted, not broken. Excuse me. It was busted. And, um, So I couldn't receive what they were trying to give me. So I made a plan for suicide. Now there was a day when um, I was supposed to be somewhere else. I was supposed to be back at the university They had a jazz band, and somehow somebody had decided that I should play the piano with the jazz band and should sit in at the last minute um, because something happened to their pianist. I don't know what, and he was sick or in the hospital or gone, or I don't know what happened to him, but they, they didn't have a piano player. So it took them a while to drop off the charts and sheet music, what they had at my house, and I sat down and looked at it and I was like, oh, I am so screwed because I can't do this. They had a bunch of numbers on them. And I didn't know what that was, what that meant. I know now it was the Nashville numbering system. And it's used by a lot of people um, in the gospel and jazz genres. And I'm sure lots of others do rock and roll. I mean, who, you know church music, whatever. A lot of people use those now, but, um, I, I tried to figure out what they wanted on at least some of the songs and I just couldn't. And I was too ashamed to admit, okay, I don't know what this is. I can't do it. You're going to need to find somebody else. So I just procrastinated And when I was supposed to be going to rehearsal that evening, I just thought, well, today would be a good day to die. So I set out in my car and I was, I didn't wear my seatbelt. I was going to go really, really fast and just hit a bridge abutment. But I didn't want anybody else to be harmed in an accident just because I needed to die. So I just, um, I was looking for a bridge abutment that didn't have any other cars around it. And I drove from Asheville all the way to Atlanta. And every freaking bridge abutment I came to, there was traffic all around it. Damn damn it, damn it, they're, oh, man, I, so by the time I got to Atlanta, I just turned around and started driving back, driving very fast, no cops stopped me, I mean, going 100 miles an hour, you know, kind of thing, and, um, every single bridge of that, there was traffic, 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 traffic. I had no idea at the time that God was interrupting my death by placing those cars all around the bridge abutments. But I know now that's what was happening. I can't tell this without crying, so bear with me. I had no hope. No hope of relief, no way out. And I just had so much pain. I was in physical pain, too. Depression hurts in every way. And I just saw no hope, no way. I was getting constant criticism from my mother, about my weight, about what I chose to wear. Um, she hated, you know, the friends that I hung out with. And, um, you know, they were my drinking buddies because I couldn't, you know, drink in her house, that's for sure. Um, because, you know if you drink alcohol, according to her, you were going straight to hell in a jet-powered handbasket. And um, I just figured, you know, heaven had never been an option for me. Um, I figured that God just hated me. Not only did he not love me, but he just, you know, was scornful of me and didn't like me and... You know, I was just going to hell. There was no other option. So, you know, I had grown all the way up without any hope. So um, we're going to take a quick break right now, and we'll be right back with the rest of my suicide story. You're listening to In Search of Peace and Healing with Celia Boone. We'll return to this episode in just a moment. We invite you to visit our website, muchmoretosay.weebly.com. That's much more than number two, say.weebly.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So eventually I ended up back at the house when my, when I car pulled up and I parked at the house, my mother comes out of the house screaming. It's like, I don't know, 11 o'clock at night or something, screaming that the university people had been calling wanting to know where I was, where I was, where I was. And, um, I didn't show up. And um, she asked me where I was. And I asked her, do you really want to know? And she said, yes. And I said, well, I was out trying to commit suicide, but apparently I'm such a screw-up, I can't even do that right. And burst out crying and went in my room, shut the door, and just laid on the bed and wept. So she and my dad we're talking in the living room. I could hear them through my bedroom wall, but I couldn't hear what they were saying. And then they knocked on the door and asked if they could come in. And they said, you know, we're not supposed to take suicide. We're supposed to take that seriously. And we do. So, um, over the next two or three days, they did some checking around and, um, found that there was a hospital about 20 minutes away that had an eating disorder inpatient program. And um, I certainly did have eating disorders. So I agreed to go there. And um, I went for an assessment. It was raining, pouring down rain. But that had, at my parents' house, it was beautifully cloud free sky and um when i got to the parking lot at the hospital i mean the the skies were getting dark and angry just heavy clouds you know um and when i drove in the parking lot of the hospital the rain just poured and i was like oh my god i don't have an umbrella i had dressed very carefully bright colors done my hair not a hair out of place, you know, makeup on, on jewelry, everything, you know, because I wanted to look like a million dollars, even though I felt like a million dollars in the hole. Long story short, I, I prayed and I said, God, if this is where I'm supposed to be, please make it stop raining. And it stopped and i'm like that wasn't hard enough make the sun shine and so when i opened my car door to get out there was a little ray just a beam a gentle beam of sunlight like a pinhole poked through the crap through the clouds and um just landed on my shoulders in my hallway, way walking up steps into the hospital, the ER entrance, I had a little ray of sunshine on my shoulders. So I went in the hospital, and there's like two sets of double doors. After I passed through the second set of double doors, I turned around and it was raining, just cats and dogs again. I'm like, oh, that's weird. But I was... Pretty foggy back that day. So I go upstairs and um, to the eating disorder unit, met with the executive director, and right when we started meeting, the power went off. Well, her office had one little lamp turned on with it plugged into a generator. So there was a very low voltage light bulb in her office so she came around the desk and sat at a little table with me and we just talked and I I, I swear having the low light made it easier for me to tell my story and so I told her and um, she said I think we can help you I know we can help you So, um, I went and checked myself into the hospital. It wasn't a locked unit, but, you know, they had all these programs and things and education and family counseling and individual counseling and the whole bit. So, um, and, you know, group therapy as well. And that was where I first learned about the 12 steps. Um, and I'm always glad that I did learn about the 12 steps. The hospital had kind of an unusual way of having the inpatients work the 12 steps. Um, they had a book from Emotions Anonymous that they gave us, and we were supposed to figure out how to work the steps ourselves. Um, I know now that having a sponsor to work the 12 steps with is so important. Um Because I didn't know how to work on myself. So how can I know if I'm getting what I'm supposed to get out of it? But, you know, um, I did find another very valuable, valuable treasure there. I found a friend that I could be completely honest with and she could be completely honest with me and we were the same size and, you know, I had always been the fat sister, so I couldn't like wear my sister's clothes and they couldn't wear mine. They could wear each other's, but, you know, but here was a girl that had probably $10,000, the most worth of the most beautiful clothes in the hospital. We wear the same size. So she was always lending me clothes and she liked some of my clothes and, you know, so that was kind of a bond of sisterhood, I guess. And, um, You know, um, I was able to get honest, and I was so terrified of my mother finding out that I wasn't perfect, but another thing they helped me with there was I got honest with my mom. I wrote a letter, put down down everything I did not want her to know about me, and in a family therapy session with mom and me and the family therapist, I read the letter to my mother, (laughs) And I didn't have to be afraid anymore because now she knew all my secrets that I was afraid for her to know. That was relief. That was a relief. But it also was like, because she sat there and smiled like I was reading the weather to her or something, you know. So, um, and then, you know, she scolded me. This is stuff that we discuss only in the family. And I'm like, I can't talk about it with you. I can't talk about it with daddy. I need to talk about it with other people so that I can even figure out how to put the words together to tell you. Um fast forward several years. Um when I was 42 um I was working in a job for which I really wasn't suited. And, um, it was paying me pretty good money and I was so depressed. I just felt like, well, nobody else will give me a job if I quit here. So I'm just stuck. And, um, then they laid me off. I'll be damned. I looked for work for two weeks was offered one job that I was physically unable to do because it was 100% travel. And I knew the product and could have supported it, but Lord help me, you know, I weighed 400 and some pounds and there was no way that I could fly and be airport to airport to, you know, there's no way it would have killed me physically. So after a look, you know, when I had to turn down that job and it was a $50,000 job, you know, it's not a fortune, but it was more than I was making before. And I, you know, and after that, I looked a little bit more, nothing, nothing. So I just quit looking and I got into bed and I was like, I'm going to just beg God to let me die. I was, um, I was at that point wanting to commit suicide on the installment plan. So this has taken longer than I thought. And, um, so we're going to end this episode here and when we come back in a couple weeks. We'll have the rest of my story and trust me, it gets a lot better. So, um, Please come back and listen. Um, And if you yourself are feeling badly, um, please Google the suicide hotline um, or there's a, um, you know, there's all kinds of online chats and um, verywellmind.com has a whole bunch of supports for all kinds of different issues. That's www.verywellmind.com. Like we're all working to have a very well mind. And thank you so much for listening today. I love you all. Take dental care. You've been listening to In Search of Peace and Healing with Celia Boone production of the Descant Music and Media Group. We invite you to visit our website muchmoretosey.weebly.com. That's much more than number two say.weebly.com You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Our podcasts are hosted on Spreaker. We're also available on Apple Podcasts, google podcast spotify stitcher and most podcast directories so like comment share and join the conversation thanks for listening